0: They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's colour changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his laws were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, Daniel, Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold round your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose your hand is breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honoured. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tikal, Parson, and this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, and a chain of gold was put round his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom." That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you uh, speak through even the strangest stories in your Bible, that you make
1: yourself known through uh, writing on the wall, through um, the hard hearts of kings, Lord, that these things can be relevant to us uh, here in Beck
0: today, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that we would be uh, listening to you that we would um, want to be changed by you, and that we would learn more of you. Uh, we pray
1: this for both us and, and the children as well. Be with Tom and Rob as they, they uh,
0: teach your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thanks, Sam, for leading and for praying. And um, Please do keep your Bibles open, um, and you will need to sit next to someone, because I'm just going to ask you to start off with a question. So if you can scooch up a row, uh, find, find someone to chat to. And. Um, I want you to chat just for a few minutes um, and ask the question, what would it take for someone to believe? Okay. Let me bring us back together. Um, my guess is that we said a few different things. We probably said uh, sort of good information. People need to hear the right things uh, to believe. Um, But is that going to be enough? Is that all you need for someone to believe? Is that all that it takes for someone to believe? Just the right kind of information. And well, hold that thought in your minds, because that's what we're going to be looking at from this passage today. Um, If you look down with me at verse 1 in chapter 5, you'll notice that suddenly (laughs) we're no longer talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. We've got a different king, King Belshazzar. There's no introduction to him. Um, we're straight bang into this, a story uh, about uh, something that happened in his life. Um, so, what did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar? Well, um, this is actually a few generations later, and um, there's this guy called Belshazzar. And he is um, like a proxy king. You know, he's kind of there just to sort of rule Babylon. Uh, but actually, the person who is rightly in charge is his dad. And his dad has been shipped off 500 miles away because he has some beliefs about a different god, a god called Sin. And in Babylon, they're big on the god, Marduk. You don't need to know all that. But basically what it means is Belshazzar is kind of pretty insecure about his position. And his, his rule can be contested by pretty much anyone and everyone. Okay, why do I say that? Well, it's, uh, it does make sense of the fact that he's throwing a fat party for everyone for all of the people, the officials in the place. He's, he's whining and dining, smoothing, and, you know, and, and making sure they have the best time. And that's where we find him in this chapter. It says, um, he made a great feast in verse 1 for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Um, so we're going to see two things from this passage. Uh, we're first going to see uh, the verdict that Belshazzar is given, the verdict on Belshazzar from God, and then we're going to see the sentence that comes from that verdict. Um, So there's two things we're going to see. The first part, so um, you you know that the, the, the hand that appears and then starts writing on the wall, it's like the biggest party pooper ever. You know, it crashes the mood. Everyone is having a fantastic time at this party. It's, you know, jokes all round, alcohol, fun, everyone's just relaxed, enjoying the mood, good vibes. And then suddenly Belshazzar is is scared stiff. He's frozen to the spot because there is this message that's written on the wall by this moving hand. Imagine it. That's one way to kill the mood and one way to crash the party, isn't it? I mean, that one's going to be sort of like, oh, let's play another song, you know, get uh, Mamma Mia on the jukebox again, you know. This this is, this is a mood crasher. And it's here that God gives him a message. We'll look at the message in a moment when we look at the sentence. But first of all, he gives him, he, he, he can't interpret it. He needs a helper. And his, uh, the, the queen, in verse 10, is, is, recalls that there is this guy in the kingdom called Daniel who could be able to help the king and brings him in. And then Daniel answers the king. And we're just going to look at the answer that he gives. Um, First of all, in verse 17. So the first thing, the first part of Daniel's answer is to give uh, the verdict. Okay? Shall we look at it together? Um, The main part of the verdict that he gives is verse 22. But the first part of Daniel's answer is to tell a story. Maybe in those days they they just told stories all the time and they always brought their meanings out of stories. Maybe you're from a culture like that. Um, I'm told that I I tell two long stories and it takes me too long to get to the point, okay? Um, But there's not actually a a long story to Daniel's story here. He tells a story and it's about Nebuchadnezzar. So he says, this is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, O king, the most high God, verse 18, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty and because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he killed, and whom he would he kept alive. Whom he would he raised up, and whom he would he humbled. Basically, he could do what he wanted to do. He was king. He had all the power to do what he wanted to do. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from the king, his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was like that of a beast, and his dwelling was like uh, was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it, whom he will. Now we, we know this, don't we? That's the summary of chapter 4. A few generations back, we just looked at it last week, um, that, is a, that is what Nebuchadnezzar what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in a nutshell. But he tells him a story, but it's a story with a personal application. What is his application for this man? Well, it's there in verse 22. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. That's, That's the penny drop. That's the bringing it home for Belshazzar. It's a a nice story about how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar and raised him back up. But the penny drop for Belshazzar is you knew all this and you have not humbled your heart. So that moment, it calls him up short, doesn't it? He says, this is a story about me. He's not just talking about something. It's something that impacts me. And it's a verdict on me, actually. It 's a verdict by his own omission Belshazzar has heard of Daniel okay in verse 13 he knows enough that he is one of the exiles of Judah whom my king the father, whom the king my father brought from Judah so by his own omission he knows where Daniel is from and so he actually knows about that place that Daniel is from. And he knows that there is a God of that place that Daniel is from. And he knows that the God of that place that Daniel is from can give him these interpretations. So he's starting to not look so sort of ignorant. It's not like he just doesn't know. He knows what he's doing. And it's because he knows that he's guilty. And that's why Daniel says, because you knew all this. There's a verdict. There's going to be a sentence. You have not humbled your heart. So it's, it's you know this. He knows where Daniel is from. And yet, he is there, take, having taken some of the, the prize things that would be used for worship of this God, and he's using them in revelry. Using them for his own pleasure. Kind of having a laugh at that, king's, at that God's expense, isn't he? And... And that's where the true offence lies, isn't it? He's taken something that is for that God, for the worship of him, and he's using it for himself, for his own pleasure. And because of what he knows and can know about that God, he is guilty for that. So the verdict is, you knew all this, but you have not humbled your heart. Now that is the picture of sin in this chapter. It's that kind of offensive thing, it's that offensive to God. And all sin is this offensive. All sin is about taking the things that should be used in worship of God and using them for ourselves or for our own pleasure. Our hearts, our words, all should be used for the worship of God and yet we tend to use them for our own pleasure even our very lives or the lives of others, other people. They should be for the worship of God. And yet we take them and use them for our own pleasure. Um, A verse in Romans 1 says uh, something similar about the verdict here. It says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen in what he has made so that people are without excuse. So the point is, we too should know, we do know, and therefore we are guilty. From this world that God has created, his eternal power, divine nature, has been clearly seen from what he has made, so that people are without excuse. And so this verdict actually isn't as far from us as we'd hope and, and, and like it to be. This verdict of you're guilty is for me, it's for you. Without Christ, we're guilty. Because we do know, we have heard, and yet we've chosen to, to take that thing that it should be bringing glory to God and make it for ourselves. Um, so if we're someone um, thinking that on the day of Jesus' return, we complete sort of ignorance, I just didn't know, we, we can't do that. We won't do that. The verdict... As it is for Belshazzar, will be for all those who will not repent. All those who aren't right with God. It will be the same. You knew all this, you did not humble yourself. So that's the verdict. Verse 22, a good summary of the verdict. You knew all this, yet you did not humble your heart. And let's look at the sentence. And then that's where we get to the message on the wall. Okay, These interesting words. I think they're Aramaic. Does anyone speak Aramaic? No, okay. Nor do I. (laughs) But thankfully, we've got the translation right here. Have a look down at um, verse 25. We're looking at the sentence. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paras, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes. And Persians. So the sentence is, your time is up. That's my my four-word summary. You can choose your own, but that's my summary. Your time is up. God has numbered your days. He's bringing your kingdom to an end. He's giving it to someone else, the Medes and the Persians. You've been weighed. You've been found wanting, lacking, and it's all going to come to an end. God's going to do this. Okay, the sentence, well God's going to do this, but actually we see here something more harrowing. We see what it's like and what happens when God chooses not to humble and to change someone's heart with that message. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? God's grace working so that his heart would receive the discipline, would receive the correction, And he was a changed man. His reason returned to him. He saw that God was was King of of heaven and of earth. And yet here we see the opposite of that. These two stories are put together, so we see what happens when God does get someone's heart ready for that truth, and what happens when God gives someone over and doesn't prepare their heart for that truth. Let's have a look. I think the most harrowing part of this story is actually something that you could miss. Just chat to the person next to you. What what is Belshazzar's kind of tactics on how to get through a sticky situation at the start of the story? Chat to the person next to you. Any ideas? Sorry, wealth and power. power. So, what would you? What's he trying to do there? Himself, yeah. So he's trying to use his wealth and power to get somewhere, yeah. Um, chat to the person next to you. Does does that change as the story goes on? Okay. Any any verses that you got for that one? Sixteen. 16. Read it out. Same, same, same offer for Daniel. Uh, he's still on that track of, I'm, "This is my reward. I'm going to make. I'm going to do this for you, and you can scratch my back." Um, and how does Daniel respond to that offer? He says, "No thanks." Right? He says, "No thanks. Keep your, keep your gifts. They can be for you." Um, has anyone noticed anywhere else in this story where he where he comes up with that? Go on, go for it. 29, okay, so we're getting towards the end of the chapter, it's actually after that sentence has been read, and we find the king, verse 29, do you want to read out, Um, Yemi? So we have a king who's saying, I, I, I'm going to buy myself out of this situation. God has told me something that's challenged me, and that I should be listening to, but I'm, because my heart isn't changed, I can't accept that message. And I'm just going to plow on regardless. So with the tactics and the things that I could, thought would get me ahead at the start of the chapter, still at the end of the chapter, he's still banging on that door. He's still going down that line, isn't he, saying... It's about, it's about what I can offer and what I can do. And he still wants control of the situation. And this is one of the harrowing things about this chapter. When God doesn't prepare someone's heart for the truth, they can have all the right information. Belshazzar had all the right information. And yet, the sign that he had not humbled his heart and that God hadn't allowed his heart to be humble was that he carried on with the same approach in life. He trusted, still trusted in the things to get him ahead in life. At the end of the chapter, after the sentence, after he'd heard from God, after he'd heard God's word direct to him, he just went away and just carried on, regardless. He just plows on. Plows on. And little did he know, that very night, his life was taken from him. And this is one of the harrowing things about this chapter, because it means that if God doesn't humble our hearts... We may think we have one last opportunity to repent. But the truth is, if God doesn't humble our hearts, even that very last opportunity we're going to pass up. We're going to pass it up. That's what Belshazzar does, isn't it? The very last opportunity he has to repent. And he doesn't take it. He thought, Oh, I could circle back round, I could get round to this later on. That was foolish. It's foolish to think like that. Actually, God hardening his heart was something that was he should be concerned about. Hearing God's word, not doing anything about it. It might actually be that God is not allowing him to repent. He's hardening his heart. But it's not like... Um, Neb- Belshazzar is sort of off the hook that he's not, he's not to blame for that because God's involved. and um, the, the verdict on him, as we saw, was you have not done this. So we hold those two things together. God's sovereignty, he has to prepare our hearts to receive the truth. But the verdict will always be that we haven't done that. Those two things are together in the Bible. God's sovereignty, preparing hearts and our responsibility. You haven't humbled your heart. Do you remember um, Pharaoh? Yeah. All the way through that story, you hear of Pharaoh hardening his heart, and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Both times. And Belshazzar is guilty. He is the one who is is held to account for that. So I think it is a very troubling part of this chapter, is the thing of God giving people over, to it, not allowing their hearts to be humble and them them not even taking the very last opportunity to repent Um, have a look down it finishes up in verse 30 after he's just made his final grand gesture that very night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed and then someone takes his kingdom someone receives his kingdom we've only heard about him in one chapter of this book that was it he had it. God, God spoke to him, and his heart wasn't ready for it. And the words that very night are actually reminiscent of King Saul in David's day. And actually, you might remember when Judas um, betrayed Jesus that very night. Um, he 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 felt guilty for what he had done, and what does he try and do? He tries to give the money back. Thinks that's the way I'm going to get myself out of this tough situation. But actually, the only response that that will actually help in the situation is to humble ourselves and say, we can't buy ourselves out of this situation. God's going to have to help us. We are guilty. We can't try and pass the blame. God's going to have to help me. And there's also another person who uh, it says this very night in the New Testament. Um, does anyone know who it is? It's the rich young fool, or the rich man, who stores up all his grain for himself, and he thinks, "Yes, I'm going to have many days." And it says that very night, his life was, your life will be taken, or your soul will be um, required of you, and he dies. So what are we learning from this? Well, if you hold it up against Nebuchadnezzar's story, are we to say that Nebuchadnezzar was better? Well, no, he wasn't. He was just as bloodthirsty, just as arrogant, just as opposing of God, just as worshipping of himself as Belshazzar. But God prepared Nebuchadnezzar's heart for the truth of what he was going to receive and what God was going to say to him. And yet with Belshazzar, we see the harrowing thing when God gives us over to and doesn't allow our heart to be humbled. And we're, we're just going to go on the same track. We're not going to even think too, twice about it. It's me. I can fix this. I can get on with my life. And it's not true. Um, so let's have a think of it for ourselves. If you're not a Christian, as I've said, it. I... I I hear you, people say, oh, I'm, I'm young, I don't need to think about this right now. Um, I'll get around to it, deal with it later. Um, but the, the thing of this chapter is to say, how can you be so sure that you will? The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so it's, it's, it's very proud to think, I can just circle back around and come back to this, and I will feel differently about it next time. How do you know this isn't your last opportunity? To respond to God. So instead of trying to fix the situation yourself. Or pay for it with your good works. Or sort of um, bargain it off with God some other way. To humble yourself. To humble our hearts is to ask him to save us. To ask him to help us. Everything he said is true. You are guilty. Sin is offensive to him. You are going to face the consequences for that. And the only humble thing to do is to say, help. (laughs) Help me with that. Only you can. And maybe you go to church a lot. It's concerning that Belshazzar had all the information. But because he hadn't been given a new heart, because he wasn't born of the Spirit, because God hadn't done that inner work in him, it was like water of a duck's back. Every week he can hear the truth, he can hear the truth, he can hear the Word of God. And yet it can have no effects, no change. And um, the no change bit of it is no growth in love for God and love for his people. Because that, if you look at what the fruit of the Spirit is, we sang about him, didn't we? Giving us, preparing us to hear his truth. The growth that we can expect if we are one of his people is a growth in love for him and love for his people. And maybe you don't see that. Maybe it's been years you've been in church, and right thinking or Bible knowledge won't get you into heaven. It's not going to be a you know. Do you know what this verse says? Do you know whereabouts in the Bible to find one Samuel? Okay, you didn't quite get the mark. You got seventy percent, but were, you know, it's not going to be that. You must be born again. That's what he says, isn't it? You must be born again, born of the Spirit, born of God, given a new heart so that the, the truth of God, when it comes to you, you receive it and you repent. You must be born again. You can have all the right information, but without a new heart in you, without the Spirit in you, there will be no effect. And so this should leave us utterly helpless, knowing that it is utterly down to God to save us. Otherwise, we would continue continue on in exactly the same way. If you're a Christian, I think this chapter is here to remind us again that it's only by God's grace that we stand where we are. It's only by God's grace. And continue to be amazed that he pulled you from that pride, we're just keeping on, going away, going away, going away. That he turned you around. He softened your hard heart. Keep being amazed by that. As we see, all sin is utterly offensive to God. Because it takes what things that should be used for worship of him. And for his glory. And puts them for our own pleasure. Confess. Speak to him about that. Maybe speak to him about that. As we finish up today, speak to him about that. God, I've been taking things that that are yours. and I've been using them for myself, for my own pleasure. Confess that to him. He knows it. And ask him to help you to live anew and to live all out for him. So why don't we pray now? Let's pray. Lord God, we are in your hands. We have always been so, and yet we assume that we have it in us to stop lifting ourselves up against you, but we can't do that. Unless you give a new heart, born of the Spirit, unless we are born of you, we will always reject the one-fourth of your Son and life through him. Humble us, we pray. Do not harden our hearts, O God. As we've heard of you today, do not harden our hearts. We beg you not to harden our hearts. Amen.